It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, figure skating legend and America's college recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Early recruiting has been a topic of debate for years upon years upon years in college athletics. Some coaches don't mind it and think that the athletes and the family should have all the, the, the leeway and rights that they want. If they want to make an early decision, fine, they should be allowed to do that. And a, a healthy number uh, on the other side would say, no, that is not something that they should do. They don't know what they're getting into. And for their own good, we as coaches who are more familiar with this process should be the ones to strictly enforce limits on when early recruiting can happen and how soon in a high school career or now a junior high career that can happen. Well, there's been a lot of movement in that recently, and it's been interesting because you have one organization that I feel has sort of led the way in this new crusade by coaches to put limits on early recruiting. Uh, The Intercollegiate Women's Lacrosse Association has put a proposal out to the NCAA that early recruiting limits be strictly enforced. It goes back to the traditional, you only get recruited during your junior, senior year. Uh, Coaches can only contact you by phone, for instance, or in person uh, leading into your senior year. And it goes back to some very strict enforcement. Uh, And the NCAA very recently, as we're recording this, uh, really a, a matter of days ago, approved that request by the Coaches Association. So in effect... It sent shockwaves and, and quite a few ripples around college lacrosse uh, from kids that were getting recruited that now were wondering, okay, so do I still have an early commitment? Do I continue to get to talk to the coach? And it was really kind of the first shot across the bow by a coach's organization to say, we're taking this back. We're not going to let this run amok. We're not going to let this run out of control. We are going to set the rules, and the NCAA approved that request. And we're going to talk a lot about that today with a successful lacrosse coach who has been a a coach uh, over many different levels, and he's been at a lot of schools, so he has a good perspective on all of this. What's interesting to me is almost at the same time you had college football at high levels almost do the opposite. Uh, they went more towards where I see women's basketball, for instance, moving recently, where they were allowed uh, to to uh, allow their, their prospects coming in to have earlier official visits. Uh, same thing now is happening with football in the sense that you can have earlier official visits. You can have uh, that being during your junior year, and you can also now have a new early signing day before the traditional signing day in January. Now you get one Um, several weeks earlier than that. And it it really all goes to this debate is which which one is the better road to go down? Do we say recruits and parents, you're in charge. If you want to recruit early or if you want to commit early, you should be able to do that and we're not going to stand in your way. That's one extreme. Or the other extreme is we're going to strictly enforce this this, uh, idea of late recruiting as a way to give you as a family take the pressure off and not make you feel forced to make this decision before we think you are ready for it. because there's just a lot of maturing that takes place through the process and that's that's definitely the case and that's where the debate rages 
And so we kind of have this, uh, you know, the most recent battles in this ongoing war of early recruiting. Now, as I record this, uh, I don't have a dog in this fight because I don't coach a sport. And I really, in, in what we do for our clients in creating recruiting communication and recruiting strategy, we have to read the playbook as it is and say, okay, based on where the rules sit, here are the best ways to go about that. Uh, so no matter what the rules are, we're going to play by those rules. But it's interesting in a, as an observer watching this debate take place to see coaches uh, from all different sports have different perspective, uh, different perspectives on what's right. And so, again, we wanted to bring in a coach to talk about that. He is also a coach that's going to be speaking at this upcoming National Collegiate Recruiting Conference that we host, uh, June 2017, June 6th through 8th, on the campus of Duke University. Uh, we would love for you to be there, by the way, so you can go to dantutor.com slash conferences. You can get all the information, speaker lineup, how to get uh, reserve your seat, or if you can't be there in person, at least how to get all the video from the conference so that you and your staff can go back and, uh, and, and watch that later or your athletic department. So the, all the information is there, but he's going to be one of the speakers at the conference. And as you're going to hear, he's a really intelligent, thoughtful coach who has obviously put a lot of thought into this. And uh, you'll, you'll hear sort of that the, the pull of, of what is the right thing to do. And he'll, he'll tell you about some things and some, some uh, topics and ideas that he was at one, at one time on one side and now has switched his opinion after seeing some things play out. And so it's just a very interesting conversation. And if you want a good idea of what early recruiting uh, should be and, and where it stands now and where it might be going, I think this is going to be a conversation that, uh, that that you're really going to want to hear. And so we're going to jump into that. I, I do want to say that if, if you can at all uh, make plans to, uh, to, to be on the campus of Duke University this coming June, uh, you are in for a treat because we have so many good speakers and so many good, thoughtful experts and leaders uh, that are coming onto the campus and, and joining us for this conference uh, over three days that it is uh, it's just an incredible learning event uh, so encourage you to go if you all if you can and uh, you can get more information like I said at dantutor.com slash conferences so we started off the conversation with our guest Rob Harris and uh, Rob is the head lacrosse coach at Davenport University in Michigan and uh, it's an NAIA school uh, that being said, Coach Harris has coached at many different levels and, and also played college lacrosse, obviously. So he has a perspective pretty wide across the uh, the NCAA and NAIA spectrum. Uh, coaches a good program. In fact, they, uh, they just were awarded the second seed in the NAIA national tournament. So they are... Uh, they're, they're off and running. We have appreciated him taking some time out from his busy schedule preparations for the postseason uh, to talk with us. Uh, but it really is a topic that I think is important not only to, to his coaching organization, but to all of college sports. And uh, so it, it's, it's just a conversation that's happening at the right time. So as we got into the conversation with him, we really focused on the, the core question of when he heard the news from uh, the, the ruling or the, the, the NCAA had accepted the IWLCA's proposal for early recruiting limits. 
What were his thoughts and, and immediate reactions upon hearing that news? I think the the whole um, lacrosse world was pretty shook up, and I think actually a lot of sports are now kind of looking at us and seeing what's going to happen next. Um, I, I'll be honest with you, when the whole thing kind of got started, um, I was pretty much um, on the side of, are we really going to just keep throwing more rules and more rules and hope that it works? And, you know, in society, I feel like a lot of times we don't fix a problem. We just throw more rules at a problem. And so I think that when I first saw you have this a future kind of, in politics, Coach yeah, <laughs> I hope not. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I see this, you know, as as like, a, you know, I, I got two hats I wear. I, I coach women's lacrosse. Um, in the college level. And then I coach a club program where I coach girls from kindergarten on up to 12th grade. I meet with girls all the time about getting them recruited. I try and help them out. And now all of a sudden I'm seeing this panic because these girls have invested years of talking with these coaches. They've come out to camps, clinics. They've A lot of them have already booked a flight to go and visit a school, but now they can't talk to the coach when they're there. And so, you know, this is the problem that we have is that there wasn't these clear guidelines of like, hey, we're going to start at this day. It was like that day it started. You can no longer talk. And so I think the, I'm glad that it went through at the end of the day. I think this is going to be a great thing. Um, but I think that they were just putting, it, it's like helping the college coaches, but we're really throwing these kids who have invested years into this, parents who have invested thousands of dollars into this, all of a sudden they don't know what to do, mm. especially this 2019 class. You know, I got called my girls who have offers on the table and they're like, what do I do now? And I'm sitting there like, wow, okay. Um, well, the rule says I can't help you anymore um, as a club <laughs> right. coach. And so right. it, it's kind of tough. And, um, and just to, to stop to stop there that you coach a college team, but you also have a club team that you coach. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I have a club program here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where we coach uh, five teams. We coach girls from all ages. And the high school is the most elite. I mean, they're the ones that are out there going across the country playing, going to camps, showcases, all this stuff. And most of them um, are talking to some level. We have a good handful that are talking to the highest level, Division One, um, And so they're, they're the most in the limbo. So, Rob, you have this unique perspective of being a club coach, being a college coach, and you've been a college coach at a lot of different schools, a lot of different levels. So since we're talking about, I want to dive in deeper into this, the, the early recruiting topic, especially with just the new rules and regulations that happen. But I'm just wondering, can you look back and, and can you give any sort of broad points of where you saw this starting? Because uh, this wasn't obviously a, a, you know, a problem 20 years ago or 15 years ago. How, how did you see it develop as, a, as an issue? Oh, I mean, I think it's a couple things is one is division one, you're paid to win. Um, right. You have to have the best talent. And when these kids are talented and, um, you know, they're coming to all your camps, they're coming to all your showcases and they, they want to play for you. Um, well, why wouldn't a kid who's a sophomore, who's going to be in complete stud and they want to come play for you? Why wouldn't you pick them up? Cause your competitor is. Right. So all of a sudden it's an arms race. It's, my competitor is doing this. I got to do it sooner. And then I think where the straw that broke the camel's back is these eighth graders that are committing. And you're sitting there like you've never even touched your high school field. And right. yet you know where you want to go to college. Like, you know, those kids those days, they don't even know what they want to eat for dinner. How do they know where they want to go to college? And so um, I think it was that. And then also I think and this is kind of going into the topic of this generation is that parents are living their 
their dreams out through the kids. Yeah. And their the parents are like, I'm investing thousands of dollars a year on the stuff. I want you to go to the best school. You've got to get noticed. We need private lessons. We need to do all these travel teams. We've got to go to these showcases. And then it's this pressure that builds up. And then what happens is something I see a lot is there'll be one girl who is getting recruited by a top 10 team and every girl around her also feels the pressure. Well, why am I not getting recruited? Right. And I'm, I am not good enough. And then all of a sudden it's fighting this thing. So it's the coaches that need to win. So they have to recruit early to be out their competitor. And then it's the, um, you know, the parents putting the pressure on the kids um, to, you know, kind of commit in right. all this. Or even getting defensive on behalf of their kid, like, hey, my daughter or son is just as good as that other player, and why are they getting so much attention when, yeah, and, and then you go down that road. Here, let me throw something out at you that just from a like a bigger sociological point of view, I, I'm wondering if this is at play too, because here's something I just notice as a frequent traveler through airports. And because I'm a frequent traveler, I've got a lot of miles every year, uh, you know, through American Airlines, and which means I get upgraded a lot, like from coach automatically up to first class. So I bet probably eight out of ten flights that I take. And here's what I've noticed about first class: of course, they board first, so there's no problem. You're going to get your seat; it's a good seat. You're going to get your luggage in. There's not going to be any problem with you know with luggage. And yet there is a competitive, uh, competitive level and, and just a, a level of competition at the first class line. And I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but the first class line, like you want to be first in that first line mm-hmm. and, you know, and then you line up accordingly mm-hmm. and you don't dare crowd somebody because they were there, they earned that spot ahead of you. And sometimes I think it's kind of ridiculous. Like when I first started getting upgraded, I was thinking, God, come on, guys, we're all in first class. It's not a problem. You know, be, you know, just let each other on. And then you fast forward five or six or seven years after, after doing this a long time. And sure enough, there I am. I'm, I'm a little ticked at myself now if I don't show up 15 minutes early so I can get first in line. <laughs> and I'm just wondering, you know, so is that part of just, culturally where we're at right now is this drive to be better to be first to be uh to be looked at or considered as the best and and i'm applying that to what Mm -hmm. you just talked about with parents and kids i'm just sort of taking it to the uh the old washed out athletes in you know that are are flying around the country um now but i'm just do you see some correlation there 100 percent. because here's the thing is a kid will commit What's the first thing they do? They put it on social media. Right. And then they get all the likes, all the favorites, all the comments, everyone's saying how awesome they are. And so it feels good. There's so much dopamine. I mean, every single time they check, they're getting 30, 40 more likes. And it's the greatest feeling ever because now, you know, everything I've done, look at how great I am. Now, here's the thing. Two weeks later, maybe even less than that, all of a sudden, that feeling goes away. No one's praising you anymore. And then that feeling and, goes away. Yeah, and, the I coaches, know, and the coaches aren't chasing after you as hard either. Right. All the other coaches. Yeah. I mean, you always say like, you know, you have to keep recruiting your kids even after they committed. Well, a lot of coaches don't do that. They don't keep them. Into, and I'll be 100% honest. During my season, I'm not focusing as much on the girls who have already committed. I'm still working on the ones I haven't. But I have to delegate my time. I can't be doing this 24 hours a day. 
And right, so, right. but it, the kids, they're, a lot of them are doing it for the social aspect. I can post it and everyone around the world knows right instantly. Oh, how, what's a better platform than that? And that just speaks so much to the generation is that they are looking for somebody to validate them that they might not even know. And they might maybe cross paths one time in their life and they became friends with them on some social media platform. And that, that kid liked them. And all of a sudden, it's look how awesome I am. I mean, just look at football. And football is so different than lacrosse. Is In lacrosse, they don't post when they get an offer. Football, it's like, I'm so happy I got an offer from blah, blah, blah. It's like, why are you posting that you got an offer? <laughs> right. You know, like that to me, that that is purely just to justify how great they are. They need people to justify that. Or to so, pressure other coaches to step up with yeah, their offers so, or to exactly. justify. Yeah. You know, and so all these things kind of leap play into it and where everyone wants to be first. And, you know, I've never done first class. I'm sorry. I'm just a college coach. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, like, yeah, you walk by the people in first class. I resent them a little bit. So I'm like, uh, you know, but it's the same thing as like, you know, if, if I got my, one of my teammates got offered a, a spot at Syracuse and, you know, I got offered somewhere else, I'm going to be like, mm, okay, look at them. Or they got it first. Like, oh, I wish I was first. You know, those are the kind of things. So next it turns into, well, I'm going to commit anyone to anyone. And then all of a sudden they decommit and, or the coach drops them later on. And all of a sudden it's like, was it worth it? You know? And so, right. Yeah. It all, I mean, it's not one thing. It's so many things. So that this rule is created to try and take the coaches out of it. Um, And then now it's up to the club coaches to honor it. It's up to the college coaches to honor it and the kids to just chill out. But how do you change the parents? Well, so what you've just described there is, I think, one of the big challenges. Uh, And this is actually what I spoke about when I spoke to the International, uh, the Intercollegiate Women's Lacrosse Coaches Association back in December of 2016, had the opportunity to to be there and talked on early recruiting. And I picked that topic because at the time I knew it was kind of a mm-hmm. controversial topic and I took a different approach to say, look, here's why, here's why early recruiting from the athlete and parent perspective uh, is not necessarily a bad thing. And, and so that was a, there were, and anyway, it was an interesting yep. discussion because it, uh, you know, it's always good to, to, push back and create that conversation, which is what I was trying to do. But you have in what you just described, Coach, as this this new procedural rule based in probably a good degree of logic and experience that is meant to answer a completely psychological and emotional uh, motivation or mm-hmm. to, to put a stop to it. And I don't know, can you do that? Can, can a piece of legislation... Mm-hmm prevent that logic or the, uh, the 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 psychological need for you know to be first or to be uh, wanted or to to get the the commitment because that's what you've been doing in this case club lacrosse for the last six years for to do all that can it can one stop the other and that's where I'm, i yeah, yeah that, what's, I mean, what's your thought i you know i mean there's laws against murder but people still murder people you know and like you do this and you create this rule and yeah, some people are going to be deterred. It's just the club coaches whose life and career is based on getting kids right. recruited. Well, there's always going to be a way to do it. And there's always going to be coaches that are going to find a loophole and there are going to be loopholes. And I'm already starting to see some ideas that people mm-hmm. are having out there. Um, and are they ready to, 
cut off the little things that happen? Like, are they ready to keep going at it? Because um, just telling people they can't do it, it might not be good enough. Um, and the, the schools are going to benefit because they're going to have more camps and kids are going to have to come on campus more. So the rich are going to get richer. And the schools out in the middle of nowhere who can't pull mm. as many people in the camps, um, they're not going to get as many people to look at them. Right. So, you know, and when I could have sent you a message and talked to you and, you know, I talk, told your club coach to call me, um, you know, then I can, I can have that conversation from a distance away. So will, will this stop it? No, it won't. It won't. And will it deter some people? Sure. I just hope that it reassures the people who maybe were too we're getting caught up in the, well, the other girls on the team are doing it. Now they can say like, look, you know, I still have a chance because there are going to be some division one coaches out there that are still going to look at juniors because maybe they weren't able to see me or talk to me or find a way to get a hold of my coach. Um, I don't know. I just don't think it's going to stop it, but I, I like that we addressed it. And I, I really like that they actually went after the club coaches and said, you're not allowed to use club coaches. Right. Um, because all of a sudden I'm looking at like, oh my gosh, you're going to make me an, a middleman, like even more so already. And I want to be able to help my players get recruited. But at the same time, my career is based on winning at the college level. So how much time am I going to have to delegate now? So when they said college coaches or club coaches can't be part of it anymore, I thought like, okay, that was the best thing I've heard. Um, but now we're going to actually find out what this rule actually does. So it's too early to tell. Uh, Would we all tell by in the next month or so, um, you know, knowing a lot of club coaches out there, what they're doing to kind of get around it. Um, and hopefully, hopefully we can stop this right. before it gets out of hand. And what's in, here's what's interesting because at the same time, the, uh, the NCAA approved the lacrosse coaches request for an early recruiting, like I'll call it a ban for base, you know, for mm-hmm. just, for convenience, um, you have football, which then went the other direction in a sense because they've added now an early signing day. So they actually allow now their kids to have an option for signing uh, earlier. And uh, the the other thing is that they've now moved their official visits um, uh, up. So they... They, um, it, it looks like it's it's um, they. For instance, they they've added a period for official visit dates that begin April first of the junior year and end mm-hmm. Sunday uh, before the um, Sunday before and last Wednesday in June of the year before their senior year. So in effect, basically, they pushed their calendar back now to allow official official visits earlier, which is also something women's basketball has done. And and uh, and then the uh, the early signing day. So I guess I bring that up. It's interesting to me that you have some sports like lacrosse, for instance, that have said we're gonna we're gonna tighten up and and we're gonna stop this early communication. And then it seems like from the outsider's point of view, you have some sports again like women's basketball, football that are accommodating what seems to be this this pull towards early recruiting mm-hmm. by actually making it feasible for kids to come onto campus sooner or to um, to talk to coaches sooner. I'm just wondering your, your thoughts on that or the, the observations that you've had with that. Yeah, I mean, I think um, 
you know, I, I think that what's good is the NCAA is kind of listening to each sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that football's rules should then, you know, automatically apply for everyone and vice versa. So I was really happy to see that this is a lacrosse thing right now. And I think a lot of people are looking. And then football, moving theirs up, every other sport's now going to be looking at that. Like, we're all, you know, kind of looking at each other. And so I think that's a great thing. Um, you know, I think the signing day for lacrosse, we have an early signing day in November. Um, you know, I think that it makes sense for football. I'm not a football guy. Like, I don't really know too much mm-hmm. about it. So, mm-hmm. you know, in the, the official visits, if they had their reasonings and they all agreed upon it, great. Um, you know, I just think that, you know, with lacrosse, I think what was just so kind of funny about this whole thing was um, that nobody could put a stop to it. Like, coaches could, like, the coaches that were kind of, like, pushing for this, some of them were also the ones emailing me about players who were sophomores. Right. And right. because they had to. <laughs> they had to, sure. They had to. And I have nothing against them because they had to do what they do because otherwise their competitor was going to get that girl. And so um, they needed someone. Like the IWLCA wasn't going to stand up and say, if you do this, we're going to commit, you know, you're going to bump you out of the league or we're going to put our own sanctions against you. They knew that it had to be the NCAA. So, you know, I praise them for trying something in getting it passed. They've worked so hard on this. Oh, they um, incredible amount of and, work. And their coaches are passionate yes, about it. And yes. I talked to a lot when I was speaking at their convention. And and so I completely respect that. Mm-hmm. And you're right. They This is an important topic for them. And I think, you know, cause like I'm, I'm an NAI coach going to D2 next year. So these rules don't apply to me. You know, I still have right. the old rules of if I want to talk to a freshman and sophomore, the wild west i can i can email their club coach and they can our high school coach and they can call me and all that stuff and but um you know but really though it's it's not the division two division three nai schools that are putting this pressure i'm glad that it, the d1 recognized that they're the ones they're the driving force of all rule changes of policy changes d1 is the best you know like that's what everyone's looking at um so i was happy to see that and i don't think um i i think it's really going to do great things for kids. And I just hope that it stops the pressure or I shouldn't say stops because it's not going to, I hope it does, but really I hope it slows down the pressure of these kids feeling like if I don't commit before my end of my sophomore year, I'm not, I'm not good. Right. And I just love seeing all these stories that get published about these kids who are like going into their senior year and then they get noticed. And that's just like the greatest feeling. Cause I tell all my club girls like, Hey, this is a, this is a late bloomer sport. Like sometimes you're just uncoordinated until your senior year and all of a sudden you get it. And I want to give them faith that, you know, a good school, you know, the right school is going to find you. Right, right. No, there's no doubt that, I mean, you mentioned there's there's a lot of good intentions and motives in the rule changes and what their the, the coaching organization has done and is trying to do. No doubt about it. And I just then <laughs> the other pull, the, the other side is that you know there is such a natural desire to maybe I'll even put it in terms of to win and I think a lot of parents and a lot of kids even when they're investing that kind of time and money into a sport not just lacrosse but you pick your sport male or female and it it tends to become this competition for these few opportunities in college and I think the go-to strategy for most families and even most club coaches maybe who aren't as tied in with the college level as you are is, well, go early. Let's start early. We mm-hmm. need to you know, work longer and, and get at this sooner to try to beat the competition. 
And so that that's just an interesting. Uh, yeah. When this all started, I was actually like kind of on the other fence. I mean, still part of me is because I think that if you regulate things so much, everything becomes dark. Like everything yeah, goes. You, you drive it world. underground. Out, and, yeah, you do. And, yeah. and the problem was that like there are some girls out there who want to search for a squirrel early. So why are we? And to me, it's like I don't want to punish them. I don't want to say like, no, you can't do it, or you got to do it secretly, and you got to do it against the rules. Um, I've always said, like, you know, as long as we're educating parents at a young age that, like, hey, some girls are ready, some girls aren't, and you make it very clear because the problem was that so much power was coming with the the club coach. There's so many club clubs out there. If you're not Division One or even top twenty Division One, they're never going to send your email off to their do- off to their sure. girls. Sure, they're not going to. They are becoming the gatekeepers. And so when this rule passed, I was like, oh, great. Now they're even bigger gatekeepers. But now they're trying to put this like they're trying to say club coaches can't do anything. Um, so that's going to be interesting. But it, to me, it just seemed like if a girl wanted to get a sophomore, wanted to call Syracuse, why do we have to do this whole like Syracuse emails me and says, hey, I'm talking to this. I want to I'm interested in this girl. Have her call me at four o'clock. I forwarded on it. Can you call at four o'clock? Yes, I can. OK, calls. They didn't answer. I left a voicemail. Well, no, you got it. You know. It, I'm like, why would just let them talk? If they want to go on campus, just right. let them go. Like, you know, all this stuff. It just became so like, why are we doing? And then now also we're throwing more rules onto it. I'm like, okay, you know, okay, let's just see how this goes. But it, like you said, it, it's going to go underground, and and all of a sudden it's like, you know, with a find, how are they going to find out what's going to happen? Um, kids are. I, I'm still seeing kids on Twitter committing. That are 2019s. How are they committing? They can't be talking to them, right. you know. So I'm like, some people are already still not following the rules, and right. so it's, and it's week one, week two of it. So right. I guess um, my thing is, is like, you know, what is the NCAA punishment going to be for for coaches who don't follow this? Well, that's yeah, you bring up yeah, and you brought up something that once you establish the rule or or the guideline that needs to be in, you know, that you know has to be followed. If it's not followed, that means some sort of mm-hmm. uh, Something has to be enforced. Who's going to enforce that? I mean, you're going to have a uh, an NCAA body that's going to have to hire, you know, a thousand new compliance officers just to monitor all of the stuff that happens, you know, yeah. around the country in different you sports. Know, so, like you, you go self-report yourself to your, your compliance officer, and then you know, what do they do? Like slap a one day you can't recruit off campus. Like what what right. is going to be the punishment here? And it, unfortunately, someone's going to have to be made an example of. Sure. Well, sure. I'm lucky it's not going to be me. I'm not Division One, so <laughs> I'm kind of you know I think everyone in the, is now just kind of on the back burner, being like, what is going to happen? I guarantee you right now, Division One coaches are still talking to 2019s and 2020s um, because they don't know what the punishment's going to be. Um, I, am I pushing that? No. Well, but I and, know it's and hey, and, and Rob, the, the thing is that why are they doing that? Because they know their competition is. So it goes yeah, right exactly. back to the core motivation for uh, for early recruiting. One quick story and then one last question on this topic before we jump to the next one. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you the number of, and this just popped in my mind as you were saying uh, something uh, just a minute ago uh, about, um, you know, why don't we let kids, if you know, if, if they want to commit early, I have talked to so many athletes when we do stuff on campuses with both clients as well as workshops that we do and uh, get a chance to talk one-on-one with, with kids. And whenever I hear you know they committed early, uh, and that could be any time before their senior year, before, before signing day, they verbally committed to go to that school. And some, of course, it's as early as 
their their freshman year. We we work with some you know gymnastics programs that the, the they are recruiting and getting commitments from junior hires. So, mm-hmm. but that's just a different mm-hmm. world. Um, yeah, and. Uh, hmm. so I, so more often than not, when I say, well, why, you know, why did you commit? What led you to verbally commit to the school so early when it gets down to a core motivation? It's not that they felt pressure to do it from the coach. They always, almost always tell a story of, I didn't want the pressure during my high school year. I just wanted to, to be done with that, find a good place to play so that I could enjoy high school or I could enjoy the rest of my my club experience or whatever it was it was almost to take the pressure off yep. and the feeling of security was hey I was a so- I'm a sophomore in high school I already know that college in some cases is going to be paid for I know where I'm going to go I don't have to go through all the stuff that all my you know friends here at the school are going to go through and they viewed it as a big positive and so it's right. you know there is that side of it too like you mentioned you know the 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 kid who just wants to be done with this early because they don't want to wait until their senior year um you know maybe you know giving them the the choice to do that so here's my last question is what if and this was actually posed to me by a coach in front of some other coaches and we all just sort of stood there and thought um <laughs> okay so let me let me throw the question to you what if there was no uh, restriction on number one when a coach could contact an athlete or when an athlete could could contact a coach? You still had your five official visits if you were at that level at mm-hmm. Division One or uh, D two, and you you still had that that number that a school couldn't just pay for unlimited visits. But those could happen at any time. So if you felt like you know it's a you know you're a late sophomore year and you wanted to use up one of your official visits then okay we're going to do that but there would be no no time restrictions it could just happen you know anytime would it be mass chaos or would it be that the marketplace in this case you know between coaches uh the sellers and the prospects the buyers would kind of self-manage that process what what would you what do you think of that concept you know honestly i wrote a blog about this like six months ago because I was like very much like, why don't we just take away all the rules? (laughs) I mean, like what would happen? And I personally feel that the market will manage itself. I guarantee if you email a girl who is not ready, um, she'll reply back and say, I'm not ready. Or her parents will on her behalf. (laughs) Yep. And I've had that happen where I've like talked to girls who are like juniors and even they said like, I'm not ready for this in juniors and they, cause they knew and, you know, so to me, I'm not I'm not early recruiting because no one's early committing to a Division two school at this level, you know. And so to me, it's like, um, you know, I, I thought about that, too. I was like, what if we just get rid of all of it and let the girls who want to commit early, want to go on those visits early, go and not have it be secretive? And why don't we, you know, just let it go? I, I personally think that um, if you deregulate it, um, you know, if we deregulate it, that I don't think it would go as crazy as some people think it will. And me, that's how I feel. I think just now with all the rules, it's just going to go dark and no one's going to know who's doing what. Right. And right. that's it. So, um, you know, I, I personally think that I would have liked to have seen it go more the other way. But NCAA is really good at putting rules on top of rules, on top of rules, on top of rules and not addressing the issue. And maybe how many studies did they do like yours where they talk to kids? Why did you commit? 
that's what I think which should be like the first thing looked at. And where there's some kids who are pressured into recruiting early because of outside pressure, club coaches, other players. Yes, there has been. And there's there's a lot of girls on my club team that, you know, they are they want the pressure to be off. They like you said, they just want to stop thinking right. about it. Mm-hmm. And every single day they have to think about it every single practice, every single game, every single time they talk to a girl who's already committed. They have to think about it. And a lot of them are very smart kids, 4.0s. They know what they want to go into, but they have an idea what they don't want to go into. So to me, it's like, why are we stopping them from just doing what they're ready to do? And then I talk to some of my club girls and they're like, I don't even know. Like, I don't care. Like, I'll figure <laughs> it out. And they, they know. It's not like right. every single kid on my club team's like, I got to go Division One. I, I got to go. I got to sign up now. I got to do it now. It's not. There's, there's like a handful of those kids that are ready. Let them do it. Let them grow. Right. And then there's the rest of them are, you know, are just like, yeah, I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll listen to every coach that responds to me. I'll talk to Division Three. I'll talk to Division Two. You know, I'll talk to NAI. And th- those kids get it. The, you know, the parents have really said it. Um, but a lot of the, the, the girls who are ready to commit, they, right now they're in this pickle. They're like, I've been talking to all these D1 schools and now I can't do it anymore. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're not going to solve the that issue uh, in you know 30 minutes of conversation on this <laughs> podcast but I I mean it, it, all of this news uh, unfolding and, and kind of just the, the changes that are happening when it comes to early recruiting I am really glad that you shared your thoughts on it and you know you're a thinker and so that's that's one of the reasons I, uh, I wanted to reach out to you on this too and and also the fact that you're going to be speaking at the 2017 National Collegiate Recruiting Conference, which we host this year. It's at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina, and excited to have you there. It's not your, your topic that you're speaking on isn't early recruiting, um, mm. although I'm sure that that'll be a topic that, that gets addressed, uh, if not by a lot of the speakers directly, then certainly uh, you know in, in between sessions and, and all the networking that takes place at that event. But uh, you're you're talking about the challenge of communicating with this generation, and and we we've touched a little bit around that topic in in talking about early recruiting. But but I guess you know, again, from a coach who's been around at a lot of different places, and you're not new at this, what is the difference between the kids you recruit now here in in 2017 compared to when you first started, and just in in compared to past generations what how has it changed what are the big ways that it's changed um i think a lot of things that have changed now is um they they will they need more attention um the one thing that i've noticed most is like if you skip a week from talking to some of them like you you also put this doubt in their mind that you don't want them anymore right and they start coming up with a million excuses and you know and also like you know they're telling people like well you know i've already moved on i don't want that school and then like you reply back to them and they're like oh you know like oh i'm so glad to hear from you i thought you moved on and i'm like i i talked to you nine days ago <laughs> and you know and so it, it's the constant amount wow. of attention um and you know i don't think it's like the kids fault i think their kids are born born and raised in a society that we create for them um and i think it's very important that we understand that concept of it that these kids are born a blank slate and they come out the way we produce them. Um, and so um, for me, recruiting has changed to the point where what, what a lot of college coaches don't understand is the parents have to be involved early on. And this is something you preach, something I've been really working hard on, is within my first or second phone call, 
I need to get the parents on my side. I got to talk mm. to them yeah. because the, this, these generation of kids now have had their parents more involved in their life. Their parents have been very much like their advisors. And, you know, I talked to my dad about it and my, my dad would talk about how his dad would just be like, go figure it out you do it. (laughs) And so he had to learn on his own. So when it came down to him picking a college, it was all up to him. There was no parent input on it. Well, now all the parents want a lot of input. So you need to get the parents on your side. And I know so many college coaches when I go to the IWLCA and I hear them talk and they say like they, and then we, we, then like you'll go to like a camp and the coaches will talk in front of all the kids and they'll be like, kids, make sure you're the one emailing us. We want to talk to you. And I'm saying, like, you guys are doing it wrong. Like, the parents need to be involved, not because um, they have to make all the decisions for their kids, but the kids are so much valuing what their parents are thinking because they've been valuing it their whole life. Right. And so um, you have to get the parents involved sooner than what most people realize because their decision-making process is very much persuaded by parents. You get the parents on board and the, the kid comes around. Um, if you don't get the parents involved, if you never talk to the parents, the odds of you getting that kid or or that kid even staying when you get them, it just, it it hasn't worked out for me. So that's personally, if it might work for another coach, um, but me, I want to get to know the parents. Our parents are heavily involved on a lot of things here. We do a lot of tailgates and obviously the parents want to be involved. Um, instead of shunning them, I let them have their sections. Okay. You guys want to run the tailgate. I don't want to be part of it, but you do it we'll come eat the food. Right. And so that's what's <laughs> right. really important is, is that like figuring right. out how to play the game. The parents want to be involved, but setting the standards of this is what we talk about. We will not talk about playing time. We will not talk about, you know, what happens on the field, but you know, that kind of stuff. So you bring up a good point with that coach that is that something we talk about communicating with this generation? Well, it's also this generation of parent. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, you know, from, you know, from your example, what you do in your program, you just touched on it, that you actually will sit down and say, okay, welcome to the program. Now here are the rules. Because I think that's one big thing that coaches, especially if they've been in the game or coaching for 10 years or more, and they're not used to this generational shift that has happened, they have a real problem doing that. And that's one of the reasons I think they like to keep parents at an arm's distance and they don't want to recruit the parents Mm-hmm. Um, because you have this, you know, potential parent interf- interference, or well, how do they know if I include them so much in recruiting, then they're going to think they have that much control or that much say and input uh, when their son or their daughter gets to the program? So, can you just and I don't want to give away your mm-hmm. whole talk <laughs> at, in, at, at no, okay. the, the upcoming conference and everything, but I, you know, this is it kind of all revolves around the same topic, which is really fascinating. What do you say to parents? Just give some coaches a, a real brief idea of how you've managed to at least in some way solve that problem of, of, of parents knowing their boundaries. Yeah, um, a lot of times what I do here, you know, obviously with a lot of help from you learning on how to do a better, um, you know, hosting, I should say, and getting them on campus here is, is I send, after like our practice, I send the um, recruit with my team and I hardly ever see them again. Um, they're with my team. My team has an amazing culture. Um, they're just, there's so much, um, you know, just makes, you know, so pretty much they're gone. So what, right. what I think that I do a lot of is I then grab the parents and I have a meeting with just them. And if I have two or three recruits, I bring them all in one room 
I put them all in a room and I'm like, hey, I know you have different questions than what your daughter has. Your daughter right now is figuring out the team, mm. figuring out the culture. I want to figure out what you guys have. Like, what questions do you guys have? And then what I tell them is like, the reason why I'm asking you this is because I want um, to make sure that you guys understand that I care about your input. But then I say it right away is I'm like, look, I, I love our parents well. We have a Facebook page just for our parents. They're always on there talking about, I'm bringing this, I'm bringing this dish, what are you bringing? I was like, but it's very clearly stated that I will not talk to you. So I'll stay at day one. And they're all like, you know, usually the parents are like, no, I understand that, I understand that. And I'm like, and I usually make sure I mention a couple more times, like, yeah, I will gladly talk about, you know, what kind of dish you need to bring to the tailgate. But when your daughter doesn't have a good game, you know, or she doesn't play as much as you think she should play, like your daughter is an adult. Go ask her why she thinks that's not, but it's not up to you, me to explain it to you. And, you know, and I just, I state, I put my, like, you know, my, I stake down. I tell them like, look, I'm not going to talk about this kind of stuff. I don't talk about performance. I don't talk about playing time. Um, I don't talk about health or anything like that unless there needs to be addressed because they are adults. Um, and, and I'm like, you know, this is it. So pretty much that first meeting is I, I set my standards and I tell them, like, look, I set the standards for my girls, and I never waver from it. I set the standards for my parents, and I never waver from it. And actually, something that happened this year was, um, you know, I tell my girls, you can't talk to officials. They're human beings. If you're yelling at them, they don't want to get yelled at by a kid. And so all of a sudden, they're emotional. The referees are humans. And I'm like, you start yelling at them and tell me how bad they're doing. Why would they call a game in your favor? Like, why would they even give you the benefit of the doubt? And I was like, so we don't talk to officials. I do. I earn their respect. I talk to the officials. And then all of a sudden, parents were getting on these officials, and parents were telling my girls what to do in games. And I had to send a message, and I said, parents, we talked about this. You do not do this. This is my job. And I've had to make that message clear to them um, because they will test your boundaries. And sure. if you didn't set Just the like standards, athletes will. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. if you don't set your standards and stick to them, they will push you over. <laughs> and so, but I just make it very clear and I never waver from my standards. I don't say like, it's okay that you yell at the officials, but you don't. I say no one's allowed to. Right. Okay. So, so overall they may try to test your boundaries, but they do respect the fact that you have this, this rule and this authority. And, and you know, so that's, I, I ask yeah. that because I think some coaches are even scared to approach that as setting rules because of the what ifs. Well, does that mean I'm gonna have these all ongoing confrontations with parents? Does it mean that they're not gonna respect me anymore? They're gonna, you know, tell their son or their daughter to decommit from my program. And it doesn't sound like in your case that's happened. And I would imagine there's even cases where they probably appreciate the fact that you have made clear what their role and their boundary is. Yeah, I think a lot of coaches just don't set a standard. Right. I think a lot of times right. is they think it's assumed you're not gonna, you're not allowed to talk to me about it, and then all of a sudden it happens. And then they have to now react. Well, I'm, I try to be as proactive as possible. And I, I mention it a lot. And I'll talk to the parents. We always do like a fall kickoff dinner. And we'll have like all the kids together, all the parents that can make it. And we talk about the standards. And I say like, look, you know, my job is to make sure your daughter becomes the best possible that she can be. And I promise you, I'm never going to do anything that jeopardizes that. I'm never going to do anything unethically. Like I'm always going to push them in the, like, the best way possible. But from you guys, what I need for you guys is to be their biggest supporters, not their coaches. I'm their coach. And I, I make that standard very clear early on. And I think coaches are too afraid to do it because they're afraid from the, the backlash of it. Like, well, what if, um, right. you know, and we have stopped recruiting 
girls because of their parents, because their parents have been too much like, well, can you guarantee playing time? And I'm like, we don't guarantee anything. You earn everything. And, and they're like, well, you know, this school over here said that. And I'm like, I think it's just best we go other ways because that crazy parent doesn't stop just because you commit. <laughs> and so, so for us, we're like, okay, we can see four years of trouble. Let's not even worth it. That girl's good, but we'll let some other coach deal with her. Right, right. Yeah, and a lot of coaches don't want to do that or can't afford in their mind to do that. When it gets back to communicating with the players, um, I have just two more quick questions uh, leading up to the conference and, and your participation and your talk there. What are the big, give me like one big thing that you would advise coaches to do or that you will talk about at the conference, um, advising coaches to do differently or better than they're doing now when it comes mm-hmm. to how to effectively communicate with this generation of, of athletes, with prospects? I think the biggest thing that I find, whether it's recruiting or coaching, is if a coach thinks, if a coach can say, my coach did this when I was getting recruiting, they probably shouldn't do it. Um, because the biggest <laughs> thing that, rule. <laughs> the, the biggest thing that people don't realize is you were coached or recruited by a generation that was taught by a generation before them. So how old is that news? Right. And so, you know, the, my favorite one is like, um, you know, it's like, um, you know, like e-readers, right? In books. Well, a, you know, generation or two ago, those people right now still prefer to read hardcover books. You know, they want to flip the pages. They want to feel the book. Well, kids that are 15 right now, they're doing everything electronic. So what you have to realize is you cannot try and coach someone based on the way it was with you. Because you were taught and raised in a different generation than what it is now. You have to be okay that the kids now are different than you. And as soon as you realize that they're different than the way you came up with it and you have to adapt to them, then you'll have more success. Whether it's recruiting or whether it's um, coaching is that you know if you, if you try and blame the kid, the kid had nothing to do with the way they are. They're, they were raised by their parents. They were raised by the society of how things are now. And so if you think about who's to blame for this generation, if you want to ask that question and you hear it a lot is, well, it's the generations before them because they created the society that raised these kids. So instead of trying to blame them or get them to change, we have to realize they're not changing for us. We have to adapt to them. And I think that's kind of the biggest thing where some college coaches out there who are not able to adapt fast enough are stuck on the, well, this is the way my coach did it. We had success, so I'm going to stick with that way. And, and I love that rule. Anything You're not applying anything to offensive or defensive game strategy or training techniques because some of those things are timeless, but you're talking about communication and recruiting and, and relating to prospects and student-athletes. And I love just that, that very simple rule that if you're doing something that your college coach taught you to do or the way that you were recruited, it's probably that would be one thing or anything that would apply to that gets gets thrown out. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's, that's a great rule. So the last question I have for you really on this whole topic is we talked about a, a lot about what's wrong in the sense or with early recruiting or, or, or what is wrong in the way that coaches um, communicate. I'm just wondering, are, is there anything that you feel like uh, coaches should keep doing or that is going right when it comes to how coaches, the best ones anyway, who, who do it, who do it well, um, what are they doing right? What's the mm-hmm. thing that's the common, the common tie for them that, uh, that puts them in a category of, of just successful recruiters and successful coaches? 
Um, it's a hundred percent the relationships. If you look at a college coach talking to a recruit as like, you know, as a client, like you're looking at them as a client, as a potential client, you are you are going to push them away. And the best recruiters out there are the ones that form a relationship. I mean, it, it's unreal how many times people will send emails back and forth that are just so formal. It's like, hi, so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. And it, it just reads like their parents wrote it. And these kids do not read and write like that. They are much more short text. Mm-hmm. And what I find is, you know, after I talk to someone, I'll text them more than anything because that's how these kids do it. And I form a relationship like, you know, how things going, you know, I don't ask like, you know, like, how was your day today? How did this go? And what is, I just find that these kids will find that I'm like very much old and I am getting old, but very much older than I am. If I try and just say like, let's have all conversation versus email. I try the, the coaches that are the most successful get to the kids at their level and they respond to them at their level and they form a relation to them where it's not a potential coach and player. It's just two people who love lacrosse that are just talking, you know, about like, you know, I loved where I went to school. You know, you, you're going to find where you love to school and we're going to try and find it if this is the right place. And, you know, I remember when I did that. I remember when I went to school. This is the questions I had. Just getting them to relax a little bit and not be so like, tell me, like, what is your, you know, your best attribute for a, as a lacrosse player? What like, are you looking for they, in a college? Yeah, you know, and those are the kind of things. And my, one of my favorite things I tell the kids all the time to relax them is like, you know, you know, the when I went to school, I wanted to be an engineer. Think about that. I was like, I'm doing the opposite. I'm not sitting in like... <laughs> A tiny office all day. I'm out on the field all the time. I'm out watching lacrosse games. I'm out, you know, I go home a lot to recruit because I can just walk around in my backyard. You know, I like to just be out moving around. And I was like, I went to school to engineer. I was like, now look at me. You know, like, look, look what's happening here. Like, you know, so don't think right now as a 15 year old, you have to figure it out. But I was like, let's figure out way more past the what you're going to do for the rest of your life because you got 40, 50 years of working to do. You'll figure it out then. Let's just right now, let's just figure out if we're a good connection with each other. And that's the biggest thing that when girls commit to Davenport or to my school or wherever I am, um, a lot of times what they say is like, I bonded with you so fast. I felt like, you know, that we were just like, I've known you for a long time. And I was, and I always tell the girls, I'm like, I'm never going to convince you to come here because, you know, I'm not going to be like, oh, you want psychology? Well, we don't have psychology. How about business? Like, I'm not going to convince you to do that, but I'm going to find the right kids that want the right things. And the kids who end up coming here, they love it because we're very open and honest about everything. We're a small private school. We're not going to pretend that we're this massive public school. And we're just open and honest about everything. And I think those are the best recruiters, the ones that just take what they have, find their niche, and then become really close relationships with their girls. Um, If they feel like you're out there blanking, emailing 500 recruits, they're not going to, re- they're not going to connect with you ever. So make it as personal as possible. And, you know, I think that's the biggest thing with this generation is they want to feel like they're, they, they've had that relationship because they had that relationship with their parents and their club coaches. Now they're looking for the next level. And that's where we'll end it for today. I want to thank Rob Harris, head lacrosse coach at Davenport University for his thoughts and uh, lending his opinion to the early recruiting debate and also uh, giving us a little preview of what he'll be talking about 
at the upcoming 2017 National Collegiate Recruiting Conference. We hope you can make it, and uh, we, we, we again thank Coach Harris for taking some time out of his busy postseason schedule to, uh, to chat with us about that today. Coach, that's going to wrap this up. We want to thank you for listening. Uh, tell your friends to subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Stitcher. And we thank you for, for being a subscriber as well. Tell people about it. The more people we have listening, the more voices we can lend to this conversation and uh, the more, uh, more good stuff we can share. So until next time, this is Dan Tudor saying goodbye and thank you and have a great week out there recruiting.